Welcome to episode eight of the Life Coaching with Ryan podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to our monthly wrap-up. Today, we're talking about the ownership of growth, and we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, I have a couple terms that I didn't define when I was talking to Moon that I like to go over. And also, I got a question, a voice message over on anchor.fm slash lifecoachingwithryan, where you can leave me a message in the future. I can respond to it. So with that, let's start with number one. Actually, before we get into that, just a reminder for anyone who is watching this as opposed to simply listening behind me, there is the title of the theme of the month, Ownership of Growth, and it is decidedly backwards. <laughs> I'm leaving it in the frame backwards because I wanted to honor that it was made for me by my partner, and she took the time to do it, and I figured it should be in every video, even if only in the introduction, uh, but it's actually going to be behind me and to my side here uh, as I answer these questions. So now with that, let's actually get to number one. The passion to commitment scale. So I talked a little bit about the passion to commitment scale on the podcast. We've was episode four, the first in this series, and I wanted to use it to set up uh, the topic I'm going to talk about in a little bit here, which is non-productive inertia. So I mentioned that I wanted to only talk about responsibility that was self-assigned, i.e. goal setting. I want to read you a little something that I wrote in preparation for the episode. When you take responsibility for something, you essentially make a commitment to carry out an action or series of actions in relationship to something. Sometimes it's easy to commit, but hard to follow through. Sometimes we drag our feet in taking responsibility for something. Sometimes passion dictates our commitment, other times discipline. So when we look at the passion to commitment scale, I define it as absolute passion and effortless commitment on one side and fleeting passion or flagging commitment on the other side. So what do we do when our passion is dipping and it's harder to stay committed to a goal? Fantastic question. Rigidity versus resilience. So when Moon and I were talking, uh, we discussed the idea of rigidity specifically rigidity uh, whose source was limiting beliefs. Limiting beliefs are anytime we think something can't be done, I can't do something because fill in the blank, that's not really based on facts. There may be facts involved, <laughs> but the facts aren't really the whole story. Very often... Those limiting beliefs have an element of judgment, and that's what's coloring the facts. I'm not good enough. That's why I can't blank. Other times, it's messaging that we've gotten. Well, you should never do blank when blank. So there was the example of you hurt your ankle. Can you go work out? Moon's answer was yes, of course you can. Just don't work out in ways that involve your ankle. So that was dispelling a limiting belief. But along with that, there's also often fear. So sometimes 
it is more comfortable and safer to say, I am afraid, therefore I shouldn't do that. It's a different type of limiting belief. Fear informs me what I should not do, rather than fear informs me to be aware, or in some cases, fear is informing me that this is what I need to go after because this is outside of my comfort zone. And that is when we talk about resilience. Resilience is the capacity to feel strong emotion and still take action, sometimes in spite of, sometimes informed by that emotion. When we talk about a fear of failure, then resilience is failing on the path to success. And then one has to question whether or not you could even call it failure, but perhaps not achieving the results you wanted by the action that you took or inaction that you chose. And on that note, I want to talk about something a little bit different. Fear of success? Yes, you heard me right. Fear of success. Moon mentioned the fear of the failure and the fear of success. Why would any of us be afraid of success? And I really pondered on that for a while because there was someone who came to me once. We were talking about what it's like to start a business or what it's like to engage in any endeavor. And apparently something that I said to this person made them say, I think you're afraid of success. And they gave me some explanation for why they thought that. And it really didn't resonate with me. It didn't track. And I wish I could remember it here because maybe it would be of value to some of you. But I'll tell you what was of value to me is after just letting that simmer in my head for literally years, <laughs> as is often the case with this type of a process, I sat with it and I would bring it back up and think about it some more. And it oh, came back to failure every time, not success. And I'm like, well, I understand being afraid of failure, whether it's embarrassment or rejection or whatever, but why in the hell would I be afraid of success? And then one day as I was processing a goal I'd set for myself, it struck me. Success means doing more of the same thing that you've been doing in order to sustain it. Or even more fun, it means doing even more than you've done in order to take it to the next level. Holy shit, that felt like a lot of responsibility and a lot of commitment. Speaking of passion to commitment scale, do I want to commit to this forever? <laughs> this goal that I have now. And that brought up two very interesting ideas. One, this idea that choosing a goal means choosing it forever. And two, I think a lot of us have this idea that I'm going to take a positive action now and it's going to somehow magically solve the problem or magically transform my life in a way that I'll never have to take action ever again. And one of the first things we need to dispel when it comes to personal development is the idea that somehow I will make a change once 
and the work is done. I was just having a fantastic conversation yesterday with some coach friends of mine and this, this fallacy of perfect. We are continuing to craft this navigating conflict workshop that's coming up October 14th, 2018. I'll slip that in there. If you're in the Bay Area and you can come, it's going to be in Palo Alto. And we were discussing how to reach people in our workshop. And something that came through loud and clear was, this is not about being perfect. This is not about we're going to give you a set of tools and then you're magically going to transform forever because you have the perfect tool for the job. It just doesn't work that way. So when we talk about fear of success, there's a difference between conquering a short-term goal and having long-term change. And the first thing you need to accept is that for it to be a true long-term change, you're making a commitment potentially to taking positive action or at least action in alignment with your intention for the foreseeable future. And that can be a lot of weight. Developing resilience. So here's a tidbit that Moon and I didn't get to discuss on the podcast that I think would be incredibly value, valuable when we talk about having a fear of failure and how you develop resilience, specifically the weight that we carry so you're already carrying the weight of your goal. I've had someone say to me, Ryan, stop shooting on yourself. S-H-O-U-L-D, shooting on yourself. And I think it's important to remember, going back to the fear of failure, is it tends to be laden with judgment, i.e. I should be doing this and I'm not, or I should be doing that and I'm not, or I should be doing this well, and I'm not. Carrying all that extra weight of the should is not helping you move forward. It's just exhausting you. It's not making you any stronger either. It just builds up and builds up and builds up. So one of the first things to do is to start dropping the word should when you catch yourself using it, either in your words aloud or in your head and think about what you could replace it with. For example, I should do three hours of a workout this week and change it instead to, I want to work out for three hours this week. Anytime you see a should determine, is that reasonable and replace it with a want incredibly more motivating <laughs> and generally more effective. And it will help you remember what you want. Uh, Kelly McGonigal talks about it in her book, The Willpower Instinct, which I did for my book club. Again, Instagram, check it out. She talks about remembering your goal and how motivating it can be to remember your goal. Why am I actually doing this? It's not a should. And by the way, if your goal has a should in it, I should be better at blank than I am, and that's why I made this goal. Fuck right off. <laughs> Choose a better goal. Transform your goal into something that's actually to valuable, actually valuable to you as a person. For where you really are at and what you really want. So consider stopping carrying a 40-pound pack of should around with you while you're running around doing everything else. 
And one more note on dropping the should. There is a high probability that that extra weight you are carrying with your shoulds is producing overwhelm. So by dropping the should and increasing the want, you are going to reduce the overwhelm, clarify your thinking, and reveal options of what you can do to carry out your goals. This goes back to what Moon and I were talking about, getting out of rigidity. How can I still take an action in alignment with my goal? How can I get the result? How can I work toward the result that I want with the circumstance that I have? It's not about, well, I should be able to do it under this circumstance. That is completely useless. How would I like to address it in this circumstance? How much more empowering is that? So and when you hit those roadblocks, when you hit those stumbling blocks, when you hit that struggle, when that should is telling you how something should happen or be done or whatever, think about how do I want to do this? Good enough responsibility. So this was another thing that came up in passing indirectly that I wanted to address. We have this idea so often that it's all or nothing. Thomas Plant in his book, Do the Right Thing, Living Ethically in an Unethical World, talks about the idea of good enough responsibility. Sometimes you can't take responsibility for a whole situation, or sometimes you're just not capable of taking responsibility for everything that is your portion. So what is good enough responsibility? What does good enough responsibility look like? How can I engage with this situation as successfully as possible, knowing it won't be perfect, speaking again of perfect, or perhaps as much as I want? When I'm really tired, perhaps I'm gonna be more snappy, so how can I be less snappy? How can I be more respectful of people around me? things of that nature. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm probably going to snap. I used to say that to my students. If I was really exhausted for whatever reason or frustrated because of an interaction I'd had with a group of students earlier in the day and I was going to give a lesson, I would say, hey, I want to give everyone a heads up. I'm tired. I'm cranky because I had some frustrating stuff that happened earlier today. I don't mean to take that out on you. I just want you to have a heads up so you can be the best yous you can be and I can be the best me I can be in an interaction today. And if I step out of line, I apologize. Is everybody cool with that? Usually I got yeses. Actually, every time I got yeses. And then I'd move forward. Keeping that in mind, this is why I talked about scaling our goals. That aim in the aim smart process that I brought up. By scaling your goal and setting an acceptable minimum, and that acceptable minimum might literally be what's working now. If I just keep doing that, I'm still moving toward my goal. That's enough. So scaling between that and the ideal, remembering when we create our ideal, avoiding our shoulds, and not shooting on ourselves when we make our ideal, by making that scale, we're allowing ourselves, we're preparing ourselves, we're training ourselves to take good enough responsibility for our lives. This isn't just about small goals, or rather this isn't just about large goals, this is about small goals. This is about our everyday life. 
scaling our expectations of ourselves and what we can do. I was having a conversation with my dad who was listening to the previous episodes. He's like, man, you put me in a pickle. <laughs> now I have to take responsibility for things I didn't want to take responsibility for. And I really appreciate that, dad. Thank you. <laughs> and my, my statement to you when you listen to this episode is, okay, great. You're going to take responsibility for things you weren't taking responsibility for before. Now scale that responsibility so that you can still engage in and enjoy the process as much as possible. So you could be building that resilience and moving toward that success, whether it's working out less, maybe fewer minutes, but more often, maybe that'll be better for you. Maybe changing how we think about whatever. It doesn't matter. Let's, let's think of some things. Food. Um, when people say, I'm going to go on a diet, I always say, don't go on a diet, change your diet. Why? Again, scaling expectations, taking responsibility, having a long-term scalable goal, etc. We're going to go in the weeds if I get into too much. Just remembering that there is such thing as good enough. Just think about what small thing can I do that at least if I've done that, I'm on the right path. Non-productive inertia. So when I brought up non-productive inertia <laughs> in my conversation with Moon, I could feel the ears go up, the heads tilt, and the sound come out of people's faces. So I wanted to take a little bit of time to define it and then describe uh, its practical application, how understanding it can be practically applied. So when we talk about Newton's laws of motion, <laughs> inertia is an object at rest will stay at rest until acted on by an outside force. And an object in motion will stay in motion until acted on by an outside force. Now, the reason why I wanted to talk about non-productive inertia was to create a neutral term for both activity and rest. Non-productive because it is not producing the result that you want. You can be in motion, taking action, and not producing the result that you want. I like to call that doing instead of acting. You're just taking actions for the sake of taking actions. You're just doing for the sake of doing. You're not actually achieving anything. You're not actually producing what you want. You might be producing stress, anxiety, any number of things, but not the result that you want. Similarly, taking no action, being still, means not getting the result that you want. But there are also times when being still and not doing, where your action is resting, that type of inertia can be incredibly productive. Choosing your actions so you're not simply doing, but acting in alignment with your goal with your intention consciously can lead to the result that you want.
productive inertia is being at rest or being in action in alignment with your goal, with your intention. Non-productive inertia is not taking action or taking action that is not in alignment with your goal. I want people to think about when rest is the best thing you could possibly do. When taking a break is exactly in alignment with your intention. And I want people to think, when does taking an action, when does doing act against the result that we want? Take some time and reflect on how non-productive inertia shows up in your life. Antidotes to non-productive inertia. So I am at risk <laughs> of making this episode far too long if I spend it just on antidotes to non-productive inertia, or at least getting into the details. So I just want to touch on two small ideas and then we can spend some time in another episode or with another guest, maybe over multiple episodes, talking about antidotes for non-productive inertia. So quickly, I will say that what I brought up in the last little segment about the definition is just reflection. An antidote to non-productive inertia is just taking the time to reflect on the doing and the not doing, on the action and the no action in our lives that act of reflection in itself brings clarity and will transform your choices. And get into a lot about that. In fact, go back to episodes one through four when I was talking to Jenny and we talk about self-talk. It's all part of the same thing. And people sometimes turn their nose up at mindfulness because it's the, it's the buzzword right now. But truly becoming aware can transform so much because it gives you choices. The next thing I will say is I want to touch again on Kelly McGonigal in The Willpower Instinct. She talks about hot self-control. Self-control not born of cool logic, but rather strong emotion. If you are concerned about how other people will perceive you, sometimes that can produce a feeling of shame, which prevents you from making a choice. Sometimes when you think of not achieving what you want to achieve, you become angry and it motivates you to follow through on an action or to resist an action. Hot self-control is using our emotion as fuel. It's so typical, again, for people to want to divorce themselves from their emotions. I'm not a fan of shame. Anyone close to me in my life will tell you that. <laughs> I try to live my life as shamelessly as possible within societal limits. <laughs> but being aware of the effectiveness of emotion, it's not reasonable to expect to remove all shame and all anger from your life. It's not. It's not reasonable to expect to remove it from the world. Because without getting into a huge conversation about the effectiveness of anger and shame at different levels of moral, de of moral development, which would become a whole other long thing, 
just know that it's not inherently bad. Shame is not inherently bad. Anger is not inherently bad. Joy, you would never say is inherently bad. These are all part of the spectrum of our emotional experience. It's okay to consider how the emotion you're feeling right now can aid you in making the choices you want to make, in serving the goal that you have. So just consider, again, removing some of the shoulds. I shouldn't be upset. I shouldn't be angry. Eh, if you care, there's a high probability that you may get upset, <laughs> that you may get angry, that you may feel ashamed. So instead of taking that as a sign that you're doing something wrong, think about how it can help you get what you want. Just consider it. And a quick addendum to antidotes to non-productive inertia is remembering what our three evolutionary motivations are, as laid out by Brooke Castillo, who, if you're watching the video, you might notice some Brooke Castillo things in the background here, but that's for another conversation. She talks about how humans are programmed to seek pleasure, avoid pain, and repeat patterns to streamline effort. Well, number three is my rephrasing of her statement, but that essentially sometimes banging your head against the wall, you're so good at doing that, that it actually takes less effort than stopping and finding something else to do with yourself <laughs> in the extreme negative version. But certainly anything you've repetitively done is easier for your brain than learning a new skill, even if that new skill is beneficial. So hot self-control, using emotion as fuel, but also discipline, cool self-control, both serve to help you defer. People talk about instant gratification versus deferred, I'm gonna call it deferred pleasure, satisfaction of accomplishment, and generally having a future focus, i.e. less pain later, more pleasure later, and new or better patterns to, to sustain the less pain and the more pleasure. Often by focusing on seeking pleasure, avoiding pain, now we're missing out on much greater pleasure and far less pain down the road. So anyone who goes to a gym and works through the discomfort of working out, like my good buddy Moon, <laughs> will tell you. I tell you, I'm not a gym guy. I find other ways to put myself in uncomfortable situations. But again, just remembering that, that you are fighting these three evolutionary drives to keep you safe and fed, also in The Willpower Instinct by Kelly McGonigal. Really, pick up that book. Check out Kelly McGonigal. Check out Brooke Castillo. Just those little understandings can do a lot. And if you want a primer on the willpower instinct, check out my book club again on Instagram, instagram.com slash educate four, which is the number four, educate four underscore life. And you can find it. It's on IGTV. You can also find it on YouTube. Do you really want it? All right. So I got a voice message on my anchor.fm profile, as I mentioned earlier. 
And so I'd like to play that for you. Some things to note. Uh, if you leave me a voice message, it has a one minute limit. Uh, so my caller, as it were, <laughs> uh, ended up leaving two messages uh, because she ran out of time on the first message. So I'm going to splice those two together. So why don't we listen to that now? Hi, longtime listener, first time caller. I'm struck by during your conversation with Moon about a two-stage approach to these kinds of things. One, the stage where you're making active gains towards your goal, and it seems appropriate, um, being a physical trainer, um, that Moon would maybe suggest this, is that that second phase, yes, maintaining, but also continuing to recommit to the lifestyle that is necessary in order to achieve any kind of goal. It's not about that destination, but the continued commitment to maintaining that destination. And so my question to you is if somebody discovers that they can't continue with that commitment, be it diet or um, coping strategies, where was I? Oh, yes. So coping strategies for healthy men mental health practices. And if they can't maintain that, is that a function of a lack of not just commitment to the process, but lack of commitment to the goal in the first place? If you can't alter your lifestyle to include this new state of being, is that because you actually don't really want that state of being? Thank you for considering. All right, so I'd like to answer this in three parts because it would be easy to make this an entire half-hour episode on its own if it ended up getting into the details of why it's true for a specific person because I think that, and perhaps it's because I'm a coach, <laughs> there isn't a single answer to this. So I'm gonna break it into parts and address them as clearly as I can um, at face value. So one, two phases of engagement with a goal. I would shift the definition slightly and I would actually call phase one thinking about it and phase two acting on it. And then of course, phase two has all sorts of rhythms embedded in it. Why I would split it like that as opposed to you've been making gains and then you have a commitment issue is because some people never translate their thinking to action either because what's really appealing to them is the thought of having the goal um, rather than actually getting the goal or because their layer of fear etc is, is its own unique hindrance. So some people never make it out of phase one. Again, Kelly McGonigal has a great section and one of the chapters of the willpower instinct, which I can't remember now. Again, I believe I brought it up in the book club. Feel free to check it out. Um, that the feeling of having the goal is so good that working for it to achieve it pales in comparison. So let's presume you've gotten out of phase one and you've developed some kind of momentum to get yourself into phase two. Now you're taking actions and you're maybe not getting the results that you want. 
how does your commitment to that goal shift? Another caveat. Is it the right goal? Perhaps you're having trouble committing to the goal because it is not in alignment with what you really want deep down. And so you actually have to pick that goal apart. Maybe that goal has a bunch of shoulds in it, as I mentioned earlier. Maybe your goal is an action. And goals, in my opinion, when you make an action a goal, you already shot yourself in the foot because once you don't take that action, you've failed. So if your goal is health and a specific type of health, maybe it's not losing a certain amount of weight because again, that may not be real. Maybe there's a different indicator that you can get of health and maybe weight loss is part of it, but maybe you don't lose as much weight as you want, quote, wanted originally because part of that was putting on muscle mass, which means you don't lose as much weight. So we might need to come up with a different indicator because once it's health, then it's not my goal is to work out three times a week. No, working out three times a week is a scalable action you can take toward better health, right? So how we commit is also affected by how we create the goal. So that's item number one. Item number two. If you can't maintain the lifestyle, the set of actions, is that a lack of commitment to the process and or a lack of commitment to the goal in the first place? Hmm. Now we get back to the judgment component. Could there be a lack of commitment Yes. A lack of commitment to the process in all probability. Because again, when the rubber meets the road, when we actually start taking action and getting results that may not be the results that we want, <laughs> then there will be some type of struggle. And if you are not working with your resilience to develop your resilience, to improve your resilience, then your commitment is going to waver. So now we have to deal with our cool self-control and our hot self-control in order to re-engage ourselves with the process, right? So it's either discipline or passion. That's essentially where we're going here. Either self-triggered passion, anger, shame, or passion, excitement for the goal, um, looking to the, having a future focus of bringing that future to you or remembering I'm not always gonna feel good and I'm gonna take diligent action anyways, even though this doesn't feel good. So is there a probability that there is a lack of commitment to the process? Yes, first and foremost, there is a lack of commitment to the process, I would say, in that context, marshalling your hot and your cool self-control. Do you have a lack of commitment to the goal in the first place? That is difficult for me to answer because it's so easy to get into this nasty self-talk about how good you are, how valuable you are, if it's worth it, if you're worth it. 
to get that goal, to go after that goal in the first place. So that's challenging. In the literal, are you not committed enough to your goal? I mean, in the literal, yeah, if, if, if you're not going after it, if you're not getting it, you're not committed enough. Just period. <laughs> or if we redefine that, again, maybe it's the wrong goal and that's the problem. If you say, I want to grow six inches, that is a shitty goal because that is not something you have control over. So do you have a lack of commitment because you haven't succeeded in growing six inches? No, that's total crap. That is not what's at issue here. So step one, check your goals before you move into the space of judgment about whether or not you're committed enough. Step two, consider what hardship you're willing to bear to get the goal that is now redefined in a reasonable way. Once you've done those two things, now we can judge our level of commitment. Which brings me to part three. If you can't alter your lifestyle to include this new state of being, is that because you don't really want that state of being? Possibly. <laughs> this again could get super long. I would need to coach someone one-on-one -on -one to figure out how to address that because it may be a crappy goal. It may be you're at a stage in your personal development where that goal is too lofty. It's possible, but it's so far outside of your comfort zone where your comfort zone, your skill level and your capacity to learn more, develop more in that state of discomfort. Those things may not be lined up right now. So you may really want that state of being, but you're really not prepared to get it. You haven't become the person you need to be in order to get it. There's this idea of zones of proximal development in education. Can't remember if it's Vygotsky or if it's someone else. There are challenges that you can take on successfully with struggle there are challenges you can take on that really can't even be defined as challenges because there's not going to be any struggle. And there's challenges that you could take on that will crush you because they are well outside of your capacity at this time. If you are willing to have a goal that is so long term as to have it take years and years and years to complete, then that lofty goal can be achieved if you can break it into smaller parts or if you're willing to celebrate the small wins, etc. So you may really, really want it, but you may not be capable, <laughs> at least not in the short term, of getting it. So again, this comes down to redefining your goal, scaling it, and coming up with small actions that can be taken or huge, massive action that could be taken in a short period of time to move you toward that goal. But it needs to be stepped, T 
tiered, however you want to look at it. It needs to be able to be broken into parts. I'm going to be a better person. How do you define better person? What steps can you take to be a better person? How will you know you've become a better person? Highly recommend checking out more about SMART goals and revisiting the AIM part that I described with AIM SMART so that you can get into that. So if you can't do it, did you really want it? I don't know. For each of you, I would ask you to consider, do I really want the goal that I've set? Peel that apart. Peel apart the why. And then consider, if this is what I really want, what am I willing to do to get it? And how can I scale the getting of it? So if you find yourself in a loop of I'm not worthy, it's not possible, etc., etc., I want you to write that goal down as, as specifically as possible, as concisely as possible. Don't leave out detail. But don't get so caught in the weeds because this writing process is going to pull this, some of this out for you. And then go through the process I just described. And if you want more about that, let me know because I'll do like a quick episode. I'll do a standalone episode on how we can goal set in a way that's most effective to bypass this whole concern in the first place. Or if you find yourself butting up against this concern how to dismantle it and get into what you really want to do in a way that's actually achievable by you. So there's that. Well, that was fun. I would love to do this again. Uh, feel free to send in your questions. Again, anchor.fm slash life coaching with Ryan. You can leave me a voice message. You can catch me at my website, lifecoachingwithryan.com. And uh, feel free to comment on my posts from my podcast, either on individual episodes, or I'm happy to make another pinned post for questions. You can also check me out on Patreon, patreon.com slash lifecoachingwithryan. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know what's going on for you and how I can help. Uh, this episode was a little bit longer than I originally intended, but I think that's okay. Um, sometimes you just got to take the time to answer, uh, the best way that you can. So I hope you all are doing fabulously well. And, uh, what's coming up next month is a treat. Um, it's a challenge as we're going to talk a little bit about uh, our experience of death and what that looks like in our life. So stay tuned for that. I will see y'all very soon. Bye. And here's a little preview of what's coming up next week. No problem at all. Cool. Let's do this thing. Let's say let the awkwardness begin. <laughs> all right. So. <laughs> Did you hear that? That was my blood pressure going up. <laughs> Heart palpitation starting, right? Affect kicking in, like you said. So, um, topic of the day.
is the wrongness of death. Uh, I thought of this topic because of a conversation with my guest. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, Specifically, that in our culture, there seems to be a disconnect with death. Death is other. Death is evil. Um... And so we try to keep it at bay. There's a constant fear of mortality that is a component, underlying component of our media and our daily lives. And I think that uh, the conversation that we had uh, was very valuable to me as someone who lives with a fear of mortality in my waking, not quite daily life, but um, but it's there it's present and when i listen for it it's there so i would like to introduce my guest chris like the show consider subscribing through my patreon at patreon.com slash life coaching with ryan you'll get early access to shows and potentially a host of other rewards want more you can also find me streaming on twitch at twitch.tv slash life coaching with ryan where i play some games and i continue the conversation I'm pretty active on Instagram. You can find me at Instagram.com slash educate for the number four underscore life. That's where I do my book club. I record the book club episodes live on Mondays, and then I post them to IGTV. Later, I post them on YouTube. See you next time.